Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. I'm here with Lane 8. Hi. <laughs> So you were born, was it like kind of outside San Francisco or like that yeah, area? Yeah, in like the suburbs. It's a city called Palo Alto. Oh, um, okay. Palo it's where Alto. like Stanford University is. Yeah. It's just like a regular suburb, kind of. Are yeah. your parents from there or like what? No, my parents there? are from Long Island and then they moved out uh, like a long time ago um, before my sister and I were born. So we lived in California our whole lives, but yeah. we've got family in there originally from New York. What was there in Palo Alto for them? Um, they both went to Stanford uh, oh, for school. Yeah. So that's, that's what brought them out there. What careers are they in? So my dad is a lawyer. Um, well, he's retired now. My parents are both retired, and my mom worked in the pharmaceutical Oh, business. but your dad had a really, like, huge record collection, right? Yeah, he's a music nut, so he's got <laughs> thousands and thousands of records, and he... Um, yeah, he was uh, like a huge influence on my musical tastes because um, he always like was playing music at home and kind of introduced me to basically everything that formed my whole musical palette. Yeah, what kind of musicians? Um, he, I mean, he's into a lot of different stuff. His main uh, thing is classical, so that's probably like 80% of his collection. Um, and I think through that, like, I was kind of pushed into piano, um, so that's where I kind of started with my whole musical training. Yeah, you did a lot of instruments growing up too, right? Yeah, I, I kind, of t kind of taught myself a lot of different things. Um, so I taught myself guitar and drums and stuff. And I was, I mean, not that I was good at all, but um, I always had a lot of fun with it. So did they put you in, so they didn't really do lessons, you kind of just like... I had piano lessons yeah. for like seven years, which helped oh, a lot. Because wow. um, I got like a sense of musical theory and everything. So... Yeah, I did have that, but everything else I taught myself, like, and then as, once I figured out that I could make music on the computer, then it was just, like, that's all I focused on, basically. Yeah. Were you in some band with your sister, like, rock? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. You guys have a name? Was it you two, or you had, like, other people? It was, there were three of us, so that's where the whole Lane 8 name comes from, actually. We were on a swim team um, with our friend who played drums, my sister played bass, and I played guitar, and we were doing, like, really terrible Nirvana covers and stuff like that. Um, and because we were all on swim team, yeah. in a swim race, the slowest guy is put in lane eight. Like I know exactly, because I used to compete <laughs> competitively. Yeah, so that was like our funny name for our... Oh, so it was originally a three of you guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and then you just you just took the whole thing. I stole it. Well, <laughs> neither of them were like, as far as I know, uh, I mean, my sister definitely not. I'm not sure about the other guy. They weren't using it, so I was like, oh, I'm going to keep the name. It's a fun one. But then did you do original music with them, or was it mostly covers? No, it was just like, it was just messing around. I mean, it wasn't a real band or anything. We were like 12. Yeah. So it was, it was just a fun thing. Um, and we just like, we're trying to learn basically our instruments um, more than anything else. After that, were you in other bands or? Nope, that was the only band that I really ever did. Yeah. Um, if you can even call it a band. <laughs> but like, not that long after that, I got really deep into hip hop. And I got a drum machine and a keyboard. And then like maybe two years after that, when I was 14 or 15, I figured out that I could just make everything on the computer. Um, 
and then I got like really deeply into uh, a program called FL Studio, which um, just became my life for like the next six or seven yeah. years. Yeah. Do you remember who showed you like hip hop initially? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's weird because my dad's not into it really at all. My sister's not into it. Um, I might have had some friends that were into hip hop, and they just like passed me some stuff, and then. Like back then, there were also there were all these like online forums where people would talk about music, and I I was like an active member of a hip hop forum, oh. which is like a weird thing for like a 14 year old white kid from Palo Alto to be like in this hip hop forum, like pretending like he knows anything about hip hop. But that's like where I learned hip hop, and like I was exposed to like a bunch of like pretty underground stuff like Aesop Rock and Atmosphere, all the Rhyme Sayers stuff and Pete Rock and CL Smooth and all that stuff. So I got like a pretty good crash course <clears throat> in hip hop when I was like 14. Um, and that like pushed me even further into wanting to make my own music. How would you describe yourself back then growing up? I guess kind of a quiet kid. I mean, I was like, I had a pretty normal like suburban life like I had my friends that I hung out with and I was really into making music in my free time and yeah I mean I spent a ton of my time just in the garage with my keyboard with my guitar um, just trying to figure it all out yeah were you into school though yeah I was pretty good in school um, not like exceptional but I did all right I was like just an average kid yeah, yeah. did your parents push you academically yeah definitely yeah. I mean they're both like really academic people um, and there was like, my sister is also like really, really great in school. And so there was like, yeah, a fair amount of pressure to do all in school and to give everything your best effort. Yeah. But I was always like the one in the family that was kind of half-assing half it the whole time. Did they want you to pursue something academic? Um, I mean, they were pretty supportive, to be honest. Like, considering the fact that they like went to law school, my dad and my mom, got her PhD and they were like very um, focused on careers and all that stuff. They were pretty cool about the fact that their son just like wanted to screw around and play keyboards all the time. Um, but as long as like I did pretty well in school um, and was happy, I think they were pretty cool about it. Yeah. And then you moved to LA for college, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I moved here in 2006, mm -hmm. um, went to school in Eagle Rock at Occidental, and yeah. What did you study? Geology. Oh, how <laughs> <laughs> did you like that in high school already? I didn't even ask you what were your favorite subjects back then. Um, in high school, I don't even remember. I liked writing a lot, actually, in high school, I guess because mm -hmm. it was kind of creative. Um, but then everybody told me, like, if you're an English major, then you'll never get a job. So I figured I would study some kind of, like applied science so that's where I ended up with geology. Did um, you like it? I did like it yeah, yeah. actually I worked as a geologist oh, wow. before the whole lane 8 thing took off. That was my day job. Yeah um, what did that entail? I worked for the government I was working for the USGS which is like the main scientific research branch um, dealing with like earthquakes and environmental oh, wow. issues and all that stuff so I did a lot of environmental work and then, like, every minute of free time that I had, I was just making music. Yeah. How did you even, like, get into that? Like, people around you, were in it, were your parents, like, talking to you about, like, news or, like, earthquakes? Or, like, how did it even, like, stumble <laughs> upon? Um, I don't know. I mean, it was just sort of 
my, I think like my sister had an internship there, um, which I don't, I don't even remember how, how she got it, but then she left and they needed someone to fill the spot. And so I like just got the job by default because my sister had it and then it just sort of stuck. Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. But it was a good job. I enjoyed it. Is that something you're still curious about now or is it just way in the past? <laughs> it's pretty far in the past now. I mean, I've been doing Lane 8 now professionally for like four or five years. So it's, um, I wouldn't trade this life for my old <laughs> one, but I mean, there were some good parts about it. Um, but yeah, it's not something that I'm like itching to get back to yeah. anytime soon. And then while you were in college, were you getting your name out there DJing and stuff, right? Um, I wouldn't say I was getting my name out there. I was more just messing around with my friends. Like, I learned how to DJ in college, um, just like at parties at my friend's place, because they had, like, some turntables and stuff. And we would just, like, mess around at the end of the night, um, like, when the real DJ was done, and there were just, like, five drunk people left. That's when we would get a chance to, like, screw around and play some music. Um, but I was never, like, one of those people that, like, pushed my music out there, or, like, tried to get bookings. Um, it all, I just like sort of focused on making music and when the music started to get like a more positive reception, that's when I started to actually go and perform like in real clubs. How were you able to get your music out there initially? Um, so the first thing that really made a big difference was when I sent my music to a guy called Perseus. He had a label called French Express back in like 2010, 11. Um, and he was in really tight with a magician who was like one of the most influential mm, DJs God. at the time yeah. um, within the whole deep house, like kind of disco scene. And I was just sending him my music because I really wanted to release it on his label. And that didn't really happen, at least not until later, but he did pass my music on to the magician and the magician started playing my music in his mixes. And I basically built a fan base just purely off of that because his mixes were so insanely popular oh, back wow. then. Um, and like whenever a new track would pop up in them, like people would really try to figure out what it was. <clears throat> and so just releasing two or three songs, um, just myself on SoundCloud basically started to build a little bit of a following. And then um, not that long after that, Jody Wisternoff, who works with Anjuna Deep, reached out to me and we started planning some releases with Anjuna and then that's where things started to get like really um, a bit more professional and like had had some real releases under my belt. So those two DJs starting to play my music, that was sort of the catalyst for reaching a much wider audience when I was just basically starting from zero. Yeah. How do you decide to take the jump to do music full time? Um, yeah, that was a tricky one. I mean, <laughs> I, I obviously wanted to do it as soon as possible. Um, I mean, you don't want to be like totally irresponsible and run out of money. But at the same time, I quit my job like probably pretty early. Like I wasn't making very much money. Uh, but at the same time, I knew that if I wanted to have the whole Lane 8 thing pan out, I was going to have to spend more time than just like a few hours in, in the evenings after work and like maybe a few hours on the weekends. Um, I just didn't really have enough time to like make enough music and like put together like a real, um, yeah, like a real musical project. So I, I, I feel like I quit my job pretty early. Um, but it's a tough, I mean, people ask me all the time, like up and coming DJs and producers, there's no right answer, it's just about what you're comfortable with. I was lucky to have like my then girlfriend, who's now my wife, she was 
kind of supporting me financially in the beginning and just like gave me that freedom um, to kind of, yeah, work on music as much as I needed to. And that luckily panned out. Yeah. Um, well, where was, where were you living at this point? We were living in Germany back then. So um, yeah, like towards the end of 2013, beginning of 14, we moved to Germany. Oh, and then you quit your job and then you moved? I quit my job and then moved to Germany, yeah. basically. Um, and so that was that. And uh, we lived there for two and a half years. And like during that time when we were in Germany, it's, it's basically when I took the project to like, from just a fun thing in my bedroom to actually like having a real profile and starting to play a lot more shows. Yeah. Um, so. Were you kind of afraid of moving to there in Germany like it wasn't even a it's not that big of a city it was like kind of a small version of Berlin right or yeah like a, it's I mean it's a decent sized city it's called yeah. Leipzig yeah a little bit scary I guess but it was also like a really fun opportunity like I never lived abroad before um, and I sort of had a chance to go to Europe and play some shows um, that I never would have been able to play like just living in America because it wouldn't have made sense to go there just for like a few shows here and there so <clears throat> being in Europe was actually a huge help musically because also a lot of the music that I was really into back then was all coming out of Germany, Netherlands, the UK. Um, so it was it was a huge benefit to actually be over there and mm. to interact with those people. Yeah, because I was gonna say like networking, but I guess you like networked over there, like different different yeah. people to hear. I mean, part of it was networking, and another part of it was just like being exposed to clubs and and DJs and producers that I was really into. Um, so like people that I played shows with or saw at festivals that I was also playing at kind of shaped my taste at that time um, in a slightly different direction than when I was living in California where everything was like very sunny and disco and like happy and I feel like I then moved to Germany and my music got pretty dark and like I don't know so it was yeah it was just like a cool chance to live abroad and try to play some shows and really focus on music um, and like it would have been fine like if, if it hadn't worked out I could have just moved back um, and gotten my day job back yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that it didn't come to that but yeah it was not like hugely like stressful or anything it was just like let's try it for a year and see if it works yeah how did you meet your wife we met in a park in San Francisco <laughs> um, yeah, it's a long story. <laughs> we disagree on what actually happened. But anyway, we just randomly we randomly met in a park. So it's yeah. one of those rare organic uh, meetings. And what is it like going from that and to now her like tour managing you? Um, it's interesting. I mean, she's she has an events background, um, but she never worked in music before. So she's like taken on a ton of stuff that she's not super familiar with. So it's been cool to see how she's grown like as a tour manager and <clears throat> she's doing our lights now on this current tour so she's picked up a lot of stuff it's really cool to see her taking on new tasks and just generally like being really great um, and making my job so much easier yeah so, yeah it's been really fun and it's great because like I have a buddy um, and we kind of go through the same ups and downs of touring um, together so you're not just like isolated just like not having anyone to talk to about what's going on so it's, it's I really love it is it ever difficult, like, being around 24-7, mixing, like, business, but also, like, your relationship? Yeah, I mean, it can get tricky. Um, I mean, we just, like, in our life, like, we spend a ton of time together So anyway, so it's, like, not really that different. Mm. Um, 
and we've got a daughter now, so we spend like a ton of time with her, um, which is really great because we can, like as parents, we can give her way more attention oh, than, that's true. than if we had like nine to five jobs or if I was like away all the time, I wouldn't get to see my daughter that often, but since she travels with us, like we get to spend a ton of time together, which like a lot of parents can't do that. So yeah. it's really a blessing actually that we have that, um, the chance to do that. That's crazy though, so she goes to all your show, like... Well, she doesn't go to the, to the shows, shows but like, she, we, like, we have a babysitter, tours. but she, yeah. she comes with us and then she stays back and we go do the show. So... That's cool. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little bit crazy, but it works for us. <laughs> yeah. How do you think your role now has been changed, like being a father? Um, well, I mean, it's, it changes your whole perspective on a lot of things. I mean, I think, um, like it teaches, it's taught me a lot about responsibility and um, just kind of getting out of your own little personal bubble and seeing, you know, other perspectives and having to care for another human, you kind of start to understand that not everything is about you. <laughs> um, so I think uh, it's been it's been great. And I think, uh, you know, from an artistic standpoint as well, I think it's um, it's also been really positive in a way because like we're so it's being a parent, especially of a really young kid is a huge uh, time commitment and energy commitment and everything. Um, and so like now when I do get like a few hours of studio time, uh, to make some new music. I'm like really driven to mm. use that time productively whereas before I would just kind of like sit around and like noodle around on the keyboard for two hours and not really come up with anything. Now it's like really like business. We got to like get a track down quickly and that pressure actually is really helpful for me. So it's been actually since my daughter was born been one of the more productive periods for me musically um, mm. that I've ever had. So yeah, yeah it's been interesting. What were your inspirations for This Never Happened? Um, so the whole This Never Happened thing came about, we were doing a tour in 2015, <coughs> and we noticed like a lot of times when I would play one of my better known tracks, um, instead of like people like going crazy and singing along and dancing, everybody was just like kind of on their phones recording it. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of, it was just kind of one of those things where it seemed really sad to us that people weren't connecting with music organically and kind of living in that moment and having those like really positive uh, intense musical experiences that like I remember when I first started going clubbing um, just being surrounded by your friends enjoying each other's company and enjoying the music um, and certainly not like worrying about like getting the best picture for Instagram or whatever so we wanted to do a party and I mean, it started just as an idea for one single party. Um, we wanted to do a party where people couldn't use their phones just to see, like, will it change the atmosphere? Will people react differently? So we did one of those shows in San Francisco, and it just went so well that we decided to kind of adopt it as basically the full Lane 8 touring concept. Yeah. So all the, show, all, all the shows we do now are This Never Happened shows, and we've kind of built out the concept um, around that initial idea. Have you had like contradicting feedback? Because on one hand you want to do that, but on the other hand you need the people to share it to like promote and right, stuff and right. talk about it. I mean, it's it's definitely a good point and I think it, it, it can go both ways. Of course we lose a little bit of like pure volume of social media posts. Like when, when we would used to do a gig, 
you know, you would go on Instagram and there would be like hundreds of videos um, from the previous night. So obviously that doesn't really happen as much anymore. But um, I think if, like, we've been quite focused on, like, if we can create a really good experience for people, then they'll tell, they'll just tell mm. their friends about it rather yeah. than just, like, posting it on social media. Because if we're honest, like, when you post a concert video to your Instagram, like, not that many people are, like, actively watching it and being like, oh, that's really cool, I should go check out that artist. You just sort of, like, scroll through, mm, like, whatever. So I feel like creating a great experience for people is what helps you kind of grow the project as far as word of mouth. Um, so we've been just trying to focus on creating that positive experience for people and hoping that they tell their friends about it. Um, the other thing we do is like we have these little business cards um, and they say they have like our artwork and logo on them and on, on the back they say we have a few different ones but they say generally like um, leave your phone experience the moment this never happened and what we see is like a lot of people take them home with them these little cars and they'll take pictures of them oh, and post them on social media the cool. next day yeah. which is perfect because like I feel like that's the time to post on social media about something like once you've like experienced it processed it overnight wake up the next day and then you like want to say something about it that's like the perfect scenario like you've had the time to have this experience and like think about it a little bit um, and consider how it made you feel and then you can like sort of make a post and say something about it the next day. So I really love seeing that. Um, and it's, I feel like it's always like a great, a great sign when people can still like remember and like how, you know, how the show made them feel the next day and, and say something about it. I feel like that means a lot more than just someone recording a song for 15 seconds and posting it with like basically no commentary at all because they're actually at a show. And what was the main inspirations for your Little by Little album? Um, I mean... Our theme, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's tricky to say because I'm not someone who, like, gets directly inspired by something and then, like, writes a track in two hours. Like, for me, making music is, like, a real process. Um, it's, like, a lot of work and, like, labor to, like, because, you know, when you're starting from zero, like, every first move that you make sounds terrible. It's just like you have to start and like get into it and then chip away at the stuff that sucks and build up the stuff that's pretty good until it's better and better and better. So it's, that's, I guess that process of like achieving one little task after the next is what the whole album was about for me as a producer. Um, so that's where the name Little by Little comes from. It's an album that was literally put together little by little. Um, rather than being like really inspired and like just having this music flow out of me that's just not how my process works it's more yeah it's work and so I wanted to kind of reflect that and it's kind of like for me wanting to do an album that um, was respectful and a sort of I guess a nod to albums that I love that were influential for me um, growing up. How do you decide to start your record label? That um, came about around the same time that we decided to do this whole no phone party. Um, I was kind of hoping to create an experience um, that would sort of be its own thing and be recognizable. Um, and I feel like a lot of the best events and parties, they all are sort of a, a, a sort of bridge between, yeah, live events and music. So, like, 
if you look at Intervisions, for example, they're known, it's a record label, but it's also an event series. And I, I think those two things just go hand in hand. And especially as a musician, if you're going to get into events, like you need to have music that goes with it. Um, at least that's how I feel about it, at least and with my favorite events. Um, that I've been to. So I feel like there's a really deep connection there between events and music and I wanted there to be like a very obvious connection between the music that I was writing at the time that was written basically to um, be played at these events and the actual events themselves. So that's why we started the label and it was another one of those things where it was like it might work, it might not. Um, and luckily it worked really well and people were really, really responsive to both the label and the events and so we decided to continue doing both yeah. together. And previously you said something about like challenges with being a producer and a performer. Mm -hmm. Can you expand a bit more on that? Well, I think, I mean, there's a lot to be said about that. I think, you know, these days, um, obviously, a lot of DJs or electronic musicians are getting booked to perform purely based off of the music that they make in their studio, not because they're like great DJs or performers. So like when I first started Lane 8, like I was an okay DJ, I'd like DJed some parties in college um, and I could like handle like myself basically, but I was not a performer, you know, that's something that you learn over time with experience um, and, and something that, you know, I mean, of course some people are naturally very gifted performers, but I mean, it's it's something for most people, especially people who spend most of their time in the studio in front of a computer, they're not like people who are naturally good at performing. So it's something that you, I think, as a producer, you learn, and I, I played hundreds of shows, like when I had very little profile and kind of honed my skills as a performer. Um, and I still think I have a long way to go as a performer, uh, and it's something that I try to improve a lot. Um, because now, you know, playing in front of lots of people who have you know paid their hard-earned money to see you perform mm -hmm. and you you owe it to them to to put on a good performance i think and it's something that i think is, is lacking a lot in electronic music um these days i think it's something that we as producers and djs need to focus more on um being better performers so yeah. i mean there's a lot to be said about it and it's a, it's a complex subject um for sure but yeah i mean it's something that i feel very strongly about mm -hmm. for sure and you said in a previous interview that you're worried about like hearing losses, especially from like yeah, performing definitely. a lot. I mean, it's you know, it's the science on it is pretty clear. Like if you're exposed to club level music for a few hours, it for sure damages your hearing. And you know, it's not something that you like want to be doing, like because I'm like going and playing at clubs and like damaging a bunch of people's hearing. And you know, clubs have gotten louder and louder over time and. It's one of those things where I think there needs to, you know, there needs to be a balance between having powerful sound that's really immersive for people and is like a great experience and everybody loves like their favorite songs really loud. That's just a natural thing. Um, but I think we need to be careful about balancing that with safety. Um, I mean, I always wear earplugs at my shows and I always recommend people if they go to a lot of shows or clubs that they invest in a pair of custom earplugs that can you can control exactly mm. how much you want the volume to be um, attenuated by and obviously I mean custom earplugs are expensive and it's not easy for everyone to get them um, so it's something that I would like to work on more in the future um, 
because I mean the last thing I want to do is damage people's hearing it's like the whole point of this project is to like have people enjoy music and if you mess up your ears there's no going back really so it's something that I care a lot about and I would like to be more active in it in the future um, so hopefully there's things we can do once the project gets bigger um, to try to combat that issue. Yeah, since when did you actually start thinking of it actively that way and like it clicked to you that you wanted to bring more attention to it? Um, was there like I a mean, turning point? I don't know if there was a turning point. I have, you know, my manager has hearing issues because of being exposed to a lot of loud music in clubs and stuff over the years. Um, Jody Wisternoff, who was one of the people who got me <coughs> really going initially by supporting my music he has like really intense tinnitus oh, wow. um, and he's been one of like the um, biggest DJs as far as like vocalizing the issue and like promoting earplugs and safe um, hearing practices so I think that's um, that was really inspirational to hear to, to hear him talk about it um, and just having you know my own experiences like just having your ears ring after a really loud gig um, I had like a weird thing in my left ear for a while where it was like kind of freaking out and I don't know I'm just it's just something that's like scares me and I want to like learn more about it and kind of try to do some good um, because like I said like ultimately it's like about enjoying this whole thing is about enjoying music and if we're ruining people's hearing um, that's obviously the opposite of what we want to be doing so yeah. I think it's something that like everybody in live music needs to be more conscious about including myself. How do you think your music has changed since the early songs you made? It's gone through like three or four like major changes, <laughs> I feel like. I mean, that's just what happens over time. Like my tastes have changed. What I was into in 2012, I don't it doesn't really interest me anymore. Like I was into like disco and like classic deep house then, which is like it's fine and I don't mind that music now, but it's not what interests me. So I'm always like I think every DJ is always like looking for that new thing that gets them excited about music again. And I think it's the same for me. So I'm always, and my production always, I think, reflects what I'm really into um, as far as DJing. So I think, yeah, the search for new music, like the, that constant search that every DJ goes through, I think drives you in new and different directions. Um, and so, yeah, I've gone from <clears throat> making like kind of summery disco influenced music to like really housey stuff and now I feel like my music has gotten like very progressive and like almost trance like old trance in a way so and I'm sure like in the year it will have shifted to something completely <laughs> different so I think that's kind of just normal. Yeah. How do you think you've grown as a person since when you started? Um, well I've <laughs> I mean I you know when I came into this I didn't know anything about the music business so I think it's been like just five years of learning like everything that I needed to know. Um, and I think, like, the music business does teach you a lot about what, like, the real world is like. Um, because when you first start to get, like, a bit of a fan base and you're playing and, like, you're just excited to, like, you know, get on a plane and go play a show in some new city. And you can get, like, really caught up in it. And, like, obviously ego can be a huge issue. And just, like, a lack of understanding that, like... You know, these people that, like, you meet just once or whatever, they're not, it's not like they're, they're your buddies. They don't care about you. It's like they either want to make money with you mm. or they want to, like, use whatever you have going on to further whatever they're trying to do or both. Um, so I think it teaches you, like, 
to kind of see people for what they are and also to really value um, like genuine people and when you find really genuine people which you do find in the music business I think it's it's great because then <clears throat> um, you have a chance to like really bond with someone that you have a lot in common with so I think um, yeah it's been just a long intense interesting <laughs> learning experience but it's been good what would you say have been your biggest challenges so far um i think a big challenge for me has been kind of balancing like always wanting to do your own thing and like branch out on your own and doing things that are like also good for the project so like when in 2014 when we were prepping my first album rise like a lot of people were saying like, well, it's too soon for you to do an album, like you don't have enough of a fan base yet. And um, I'm really glad that we did do that album then because um, I feel like it made a huge difference as far as helping me connect with my the fan base that I had built. Um, and it was sort of the same thing when we started our label and event series. It was like, well, maybe it's kind of too early. Um, but I've always looked at it as like my favorite artists whose like careers I would like to emulate in some small way. They all are like really focused on doing their own thing. Um, so if you look at like Eric Prids, for example, like own label, own events, like known for doing his own thing or Maceo Plex, it's the same deal. Um, so it's, it's something that I saw as like inevitable as an artist. Um, you have to like break branch out and do your own thing at some point. And I didn't see the point in waiting. Um, but it's been really challenging to kind of achieve the results that we want to achieve um, while not having like a big team around it to, to help push the music or the events and whatnot. So I think that's probably been the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. um, but I've got a great team and they help me a lot like as far as <clears throat> accomplishing all the things that we want to accomplish while kind of using This Never Happened as both an events concept and record label. Um, that's just entirely my own, so I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. What does success look like to you? Um, I think success is just doing what you want and having it received um, in a way that makes you happy. I mean, I think it's not necessarily about achieving chart positions or selling X number of tickets. Um, I think it's easy to get focused on numbers and things like that, but for me it's like if I stay after a show and like I'm standing outside the venue and taking pictures of fans and stuff and just hearing like one of them drove like four hours to see the yeah. show or that like one of them uh, you know met their their partner at one of my shows and like my music has helped them bond that kind of stuff is like what makes me feel like um, I've succeeded in some small way so it's actually hearing those personal things I think more than anything yeah what does love mean to you love um, it's hard to describe. I mean, love is just like when you care a lot about someone and you just like want to be around them and just take care of them. It's, uh, I mean, it's how I feel about my wife, my daughter, my family, um, music. Um, it's just something that's in your life and you don't ever want it to, to go away. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Last question. What do you want to be remembered for? Um, well, I mean, professionally, I'd like to be remembered for good music, I hope, <laughs> um, like doing good shows that brought people together and gave them like a great experience that they could all share together. Um, and I want to be remembered for doing things the right way um, and being kind of a, a small force.
for positive uh, change in, in the business and just in our world as well. So I think those would be the things that I would hope to be. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. All this right. is awesome. Thanks Bye. so much.